and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Molly and Hannah we are learning about F1 and many other motorsport series too. In this episode we're chatting about the delightful track limits violations from this past weekend in Austria. We include a bit of a chat about what they could do to change it and then shortly after recording they did announce that they're planning to add in gravel traps at turns 9 and 10 but you can enjoy our thoughts anyway. We're also chatting about the provisional 2024 calendar and the changes it might bring, so be sure to check that out on socials. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of things you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! Hello everyone! Good day! Welcome back to the Shakedown. Hello! It is good to see you. Well, guys, what a chaotic weekend last weekend. Anybody who thought sprint races were boring, well. I know, right? What a crazy day. I definitely remember sending, well, I just ate all of my words in the group chat somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, I was so against, I died on that against hill in our debate last week where I was like, no, these are bad. These are, and you know, some of the points were still relevant, particularly in terms of like car setup, park permit and all of that kind of stuff. But I thought it was a good weekend. I thought it was an interesting race. Oh, yeah. My mom and I were watching it, and there were two times that we decided that Max decided he got bored and he wanted to spice up his Sunday drive, um, and then he wanted to be closer to Charles, because who doesn't want to be closer to Charles when he pitted uh, at the very, very end? <laughs> that was iconic behavior. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him. Absolutely good for him. Yeah, you own it, sir. Like the reality is, to have the flexibility to go, I am twenty five seconds ahead. Even if I pit, I will be in a, in a sort of like positive four seconds, and I can get fastest lap. I applaud that behaviour. It's it's a winner's mentality. He is that man. He is that man. My favorite part of the weekend, though, was when they were storting each other. Oh, this the the little snitchy girls. They were sorting each other left and right, and it made me it made me laugh so hard because so hard. you you're used to it, but you're never used to it that much from every single driver at all the time. Yeah. Oh man, it was good. I, I learned this weekend they will snitch on me. These drivers will be snitching on me if they had oh, and if it benefited them. Like, bruh. But again, I respect it. Like, you've got to understand, these are some of the most competitive people you will ever meet in your life. They didn't get to where they were by not treading on people, but, like, maximising every opportunity. And you see your man go off up ahead, you think, I could get some points from that. Some of the most hilarious bits for me were was Fernando Alonso, who, legend status, absolute icon, had apparently texted Lando Norris before the stewards' decision came out and texted him saying who he thought was getting penalties and the fact that he thought both he and Norris were moving up. So clearly, Fernando, by this point, had done some serious research into Carlos Sainz, who was the one that ahead of them that, that dropped to give both him and Lando the extra place. And I just, I love a petty king, you know? I respect their hustle, I respect their grind, I respect that they are deeply researching who did what, and yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed it. This is their version of like collapsing in the middle of the field and clutching your leg. This is their version. <laughs> this is a, it, like you guys, do, like, I don't know how much you've watched English football, Hannah. I know you've said you really haven't. Mom, I think probably you've watched a little bit more. You're raising your foot at me, so I think so. This is a dive. This is a dive for a penalty. This is, this is a dive mm-hmm. in the box mm-hmm. to try and get a penalty. 
where realistically everybody knows it's not going to happen or that you tripped over that guy's foot. This is, or cries for handball. You know what I mean? This is your real pushing it kind of stuff. And yet Mm -hmm. it works sometimes. It does. Yeah. This is, this was the, I'm going to try to get a foul to get a free kick close to it and get that. Or it was that for sure. FIA looking at VAR constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. Or it's the one where it's like, oh, I'm just going to kill time. I'm going to have the ball in the corner and just dance around it for like two seconds. Or the injury the injury time where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, I cramped. Ah, and you just roll. But then, you you know, you've got people like Fernando Alonso who they commit to the bit. And I personally find it very entertaining. Like even something like qualifying, I thought it was a really interesting qualifying. Particularly the first one, the sprint shootout was still interesting, but the qualifying really... 47 laps deleted. Man, it was wild. Now, here's the interesting one. By mid-race, the stewards were 12 laps behind in dishing out penalties. So the penalties that the drivers were receiving were 12 laps old. That's mad. Okay, I knew there was a delay. Now, here's the fun one. They didn't know it was that bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, I did send that one in the group chat. Yeah, we'll get into it in a minute. But Han, before we move on to that, I want to ask you one quick question. You mentioned on last week's episode, we were talking about sprint shootout, that you hadn't seen a sprint shootout. Did you manage to see it this weekend and or in some sort of shortened version? If so, what are your thoughts on it now you've seen it? I saw it this weekend. I ended up being able to move my schedule around so I could watch it this weekend, which was kind of nice. I didn't hate it, but again, I still don't see a point for it. I feel like it it hurts the cohesive co- cohesivity, the cohesiveness of the weekend. What if they did a sprint shootout on a Friday afternoon and a sprint race on a, on a Saturday morning and then did qualifying for the race on a Saturday afternoon for the race on a Sunday morning? No. No? I just, it, I don't know why. For me, it just, I don't think it's a bad idea. I do like that they took away the need for different tires because that really hurt Mm-mm. literally everyone's chances at being able to run and get pole and whatever else. But that was only because the track was technically declared wet. Even though it didn't end up being wet, it meant that they had free choice of tyres. That won't be the same in Spa if it's not wet. But they got they got rid of the need for new soft tyres. Yeah. Yes. So, like, that's what I'm talking about. They did. They did. Just after we finished recording, they yeah. got rid of that. So they got yeah. rid of it, which is, kind of, which is what I like. And because that was, like, the limiting factor for me that... I really didn't like it. Like I wasn't, it didn't make sense to me to have to do that. And mm-hmm. the old qualifying, like normal qualifying format kind of did that, but not really. You basically mm-hmm. started on what, if you were in the top 10, you started on whatever tire you set your fastest lap in Q2. That was the rule. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So they got rid of that last year. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. I think. Yeah, they got rid of that last year. Yeah, I mean, for me, some not so much this weekend, but I think there have been a few races this year where, honestly, I found the race less exciting than it could be. And for me, qualifying sometimes is more exciting than the race. Like the, that bit for the last few minutes where they're all banging in laps and you don't know what's going to happen and, and Lewis Hamilton goes out in queue, what, like all of those kind of things. So I actually quite like having 
the sprint shootout it's the race for me that i'm not as convinced of like this week this time you had a bit more strategy at play with the tires and you saw that really work for someone like george and really not work for someone like alex rfp williams we love you but i find the shootout actually the more exciting bit because i i think it's entertaining even though it's only 44 minutes that for me is the bit that i do enjoy having twice see the thing is for me it doesn't feel like a shootout like the word shootout the word shootout to me is a one lap or two like you get one shot and that is it Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a regular qualifying that's that to me that's not what it sounds like no in theory they get two laps like that's not what it sounds like to me so i don't know maybe it's the way that they're they're classifying what a shootout is now that i just don't Mm. like it but i think if they were gonna that's an idea honestly if they were gonna do a shootout a true shootout send them out one at a time indy 500 style one lap set the fastest time one lap that's it that's all you get it would be interesting wouldn't it yeah yeah valid point i see a point Nico Hulkenberg, P1 all the time, because apparently he likes to qualify. <laughs> he, he does. He do, Him and Lando. Lando, to his credit, is phenomenal in qualifying. He manages to pull out one lap out of that McLaren. It's incredible. He he does such a good job to, to do that. He knows how to drive a boat. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to drive a boat on land or a tractor in a field, you know. He's doing really well. But him and Hulk, for me, are like top some of the top two qualifiers this year, which, you know, is what it is. Anyway, the big news this weekend really was the track limit stuff. So like Hannah said, there's a lot we'll get into about the specifics of track limits in Australia. But I thought, like in Australia, in Austria, sorry. But I think from one report I read said that there were well over... 1,200 instances where a car was reported as potentially leaving the track. Yes. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot of instances. Like, to say that there were 47 laps deleted in qualifying alone. I mean, you saw it in a lot of the feeder series as well, particularly in the F2. It was a nightmare for for track limits violations. So we'll get into a bit of why in Austria that's such a thing. But first, I thought it'd be really good to sort of recap some of the stuff we've talked about before. So we have talked about black and white flags before, probably talked about black track limits in sort of our F101 episodes. But I thought, let's just recap. So hit me up. What are track limits specifically? It's okay. I mean... Like I feel like I I should have run this after this weekend. Is it when like all four wheels of the car go off like the line of a circuit? Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's a very very fine line between on and off, depending on where your car sits. So you can have all four wheels off as long as part of one wheel is over the line or on the line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the reason they go wide in those not wide, but they they hit the racing line in that corner is because that's a better exit. Mm -hmm. So they're basically penalizing them for getting a better exit than allowed. You carry more speed as well. Like Mm -hmm. it opens up the corner, you carry more speed into it. So there is an advantage to do it because I've always looked at it and gone, surely that bumpy ground, you know, like the the white and red stuff that you see that look all bumpy. Surely that's not a good idea to drive over. Surely that would make it slower. But what it does is it opens a car up more speed through the corner, like you're saying, Hannah. Um, So, you know, Hmm. that's kind of why they want to exceed track limits, I guess. So how many infringements, shall we call them, can you get? Is it three before an actual penalty is applied? 
Yeah. So two times you get a warning. Third one, you get the black and white flag waved at you, basically like flight warning. And if you cross the line for the fourth time, all four wheels outside off the track, it, ref- it you're referred to the stewards and you get, for starters, a five second penalty. Further breaches lead to additional time penalties, as we saw yes, at the weekend. Well, so here's the interesting one is that you can get as it does not increase. You can get as many five second penalties as they deem necessary. It will never go up to 10. If you, it will go up to 10 if you don't serve it properly. Mm-hmm. Or if you accumulate, but it would never be 10, I don't think. Like a, like a straight 10. Yeah. For, yeah, no, it wouldn't be a straight 10 um, like you would see when you cause a collision. It would not be a straight 10. Because we had a we had a you know moment of history making at the weekend, and you know there's sometimes where like as drivers they must be so proud to be in the history books for certain things. They must be so proud to be like I was the greatest climber. I went from P twenty to P one, and I'm a legend in the sport. I've got all of these like accolades and amazing things. And then there's other times where maybe they're they're not quite so proud to to hold a record of something and. Dear darling, Esty Bestie. What an icon. Should I do Esty Dirty like that? I feel like Frank's going to have an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Frank? Why can't I do Frank's boil at Ellie? No, I think Frank's going to go to bat with you. I'm saying he's an icon. I'm saying he's a legend. And I'm also saying that he got four penalties totaling 30 seconds and beat a record held by, I believe, Pastor Maldonado, um, the greatest amount in a race ever and let's just take a moment to appreciate that shall we look sd we love you if you ever want to come on please do they really know how to kick a guy when he's done because the reality is it's not even like he was in like a points position where he was gonna get like it was gonna make a difference it's just they're like yeah slam down and slam down and slam down so there were a lot of drivers who got a lot of penalties at the weekend but sd was king penalty yeah just to go back for a second the 47 laps in qualifying were all were from every driver except for two. Max? No. Ooh, can we guess? Alonso? No. George and Joe? No. So maybe it was three. It was three. So Joe is one of them. Because those two were the only two in the race. George and Joe were the only two in a race in the race who didn't get. I don't even know if they got a warning. I Those two were like, definitely didn't didn't get any kind of track. So there were three people. There were three drivers in qualifying did not have a lap deleted you had one is joe okay it's not joe and george it's joe and two others lando lando no i'll give you you want a hint yeah we just celebrated his favorite holiday oh uh, logan sorry logan is one of them yeah really i thought he did get one deleted he did not get a lap deleted in qualifying logan and the third one do we want to guess the third one you want me to tell you no i want to guess it give us the tea is team too easy Seems too easy. Okay, give us what qualifying they went out in, if you can. Three. Wasn't checking. No, it was not. <laughs> Nick DeVries? No, it was Charles. Really? Charles. Oh. He wasn't in, you're right. He was in, uh, he was in the front row for the sprint race. I forgot. Yes, he was. Yeah, that's interesting. So, particularly because you think in a qualifying lap, that's when they're trying to maximize the speed as much. So I kind of get it with that, that they're pushing, pushing, pushing. But well done to those guys. And like I said, Joe and George both were clean in the race as well. Um, Joe posted a particularly entertaining graphic on his social media, which 10 out of 10 to him, very funny. So yeah, it has been an issue for a long time in Formula One. You see it in the changes to the circuits, a lot of them moving towards like, 
asphalt runoffs for safety benefits rather than having barriers, curbs, gravel traps, those kind of things. Um, because historically, there were either barriers, like you see on a street circuit, which obviously if you hit them, you can't hit track limits because it's a wall. It's hitting a wall, not track limits. Or gravel or grass to stop people running wide. It's a very clear physical deterrent. But in Austria, there's been a really long history of it. Like it was bad last year, nowhere near as bad as this year. But like the FIA said they were going to clamp down on it this year. And so we saw the drama of it. And you've got certain turns in Austria, like turn one, where they have put like a sausage curb in there. And so they have to go off. They can't rejoin and gain an advantage. Like they have to fully go off the runoff road. But in turn 10, which is where you saw, I would say, 99% of the offences. Yeah, turn 9 and 10. Turn 9 and 10, those last two. It's really possible for them to run wide and potentially gain an advantage from it. Like you said, we've got the the black and white, uh, the red and white curve, sorry. But this location is a little bit trickier in terms of fixing the problem. So there's been a lot of talk this week, post-race on how they deal with it, what they do about it. The FIA are talking about adding a gravel trap. But there's other series that race around Austria. So it makes it a little bit more challenging to, to come up with a solution. But I think it's MotoGP that races there and would struggle with the gravel trap. But please don't quote me on that because it's been a long day. You're right. Great. Well, so Austria kind of not totally transitioning out of track limits into our calendar conversation but austria has a very interesting history when it comes to tracks that i learned over this past weekend and a lot of people may not know this or some people do and i don't know and i'm just late to the party but the very first austrian gp was held on an airfield an active airfield across the street from the real track love that okay it was a too short it was it was take it was put on the landing strips basically wow and it was like a weird hockey stick shape how bizarre. Okay. Really? Yeah, quite literally. Because it is still the shortest track on the calendar, isn't it? No. Monaco's shorter. Oh, really? I thought Red Bull Ring's shorter. Monaco is shorter by just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> the tiniest of margins. Just a little bit. A little bit of it. Because you'll notice that Monaco is 72 laps. This is 71 laps and does reach 300 yeah. kilometers. Monaco does not reach 300 kilometers. It reaches 260, cool. I think. So Monaco is the shortest on the calendar. This is second. It was a lot longer. Originally, after the drivers complained, they shut it down. They didn't do another one until they built the ostrich ring, which is, you'll see pieces of it kind of around the current track, but it's a lot bigger. It's a lot longer. And it was really, really fast to the point where it became, it was deemed unsafe. Right. It killed way too many people. So they shut it down. And they shortened and made it more safe. And now we have the Red Bull ring, which was bought out. The reason it's the Red Bull ring and not the Ostrich Junior ring or whatever you want to call it is because Red Bull built it to refurb it. Yeah. Dietrich Mashit. I can't say it. Sorry. Dietrich Mashitz. Thank you so much. I'm all tongue today. Sorry. He rebuilt it, repurposed it. There's a lot of new stuff around that that track, um, which they talked about quite a lot at the weekend. So I won't recap too much of it. But yeah, it's changed a lot of the track as have many of them which as Hannah says we'll get into a bit later when we talk about the F1 2024 calendar which got released a few hours ago so going back to the cars and seeing these track limits like there's there's a lot of talk of like those of us watching at home kind of going oh just stay inside the lines man like how hard can it be but like I heard someone do this comparison of like when you're driving on a motorway or a highway 
for you guys. This is what you call motorways in the UK. <laughs> when you're driving on one of those, when your first wheel crosses the line, it's kind of obvious, particularly as the driver on the driver's side, you kind of tend to see in terms of overtaking when that wheel crosses the line. However, can I tell you when my back wheel on the other side crosses the line? No, probably not. The line's underneath my car. It's actually a little bit harder to get perspective of where it is. Whereas if you think like track for street circuits where you've got a barrier, it's kind of visible. And even then they still manage to crash into it quite a lot. But they're a lot more obvious. And so they rely on their team to let them know. They rely on other people to see it. And to come back to Hannah's amazing point earlier, usually people know when they've they've done track limits like uh, they'll they'll be given the warning flag they'll be given the black and white flag but in Austria there were so many incidents and the fact that they were 12 laps behind FIA totally overwhelmed by this so by the time warning flags are shown there's already more violations so even if a driver heeds the flag tries to do better tries to like not do it on the subsequent lap potentially 12 laps ago or 11 laps ago or seven laps ago they'd already done it and so they've already got their penalty and Alex Albon commented on this in, in the driver's pen afterwards and was basically like, well, he actually commented on it in the car first and was like, how can you guys help me if you're not going to tell me information about when I'm exceeding track limits? And basically, he got told on like lap 20, I think, that he'd had a first strike. And so he was like, cool, we'll play it safe for the next few. And then it was already too late. He'd already got three strikes, already got the penalty. Yeah. And like he wasn't even using the curbs at that point. And I just think that's so difficult. I think one of the most hilarious things to me and to, to quite a lot of us chatting as we were watching was like, Hulk had retired from the race, right? Nico Hulkenberg retires the car. He got the a five-second penalty. And he got oh. a five-second penalty and shown a black and white flag. And we're like, my man, he, he retired. He's not here. Five laps ago. He's not here anymore. Like, you laugh. He doesn't even go here. He, like literally, he, literally, it's like the Simpsons meme where they're just all kicking him, and it's like he's already gone. The car's already dead. Like, why are you still doing this? And it was, it made the race quite difficult, I think, for the drivers in that sense. Now, twenty twenty one was the was the last time that it was this bad. They were handing mm. out like candy, and this I remember this so well. It was the first race that I watched uh, when I got back into formula one and it was also lando's very first front row start shout out lando yeah he does love this circuit there are reasons he loves the circuit and the reasons he does well because he's just mm-hmm. very good at this circuit they handed out so many penalties that drivers started complaining now here's the funny part about the difference between 2021 and 2023 2021 as far as i remember they didn't cancel the driver's briefing they canceled the driver's briefing after the uh, qualifying session because in my opinion they didn't want to face everybody, which is fair, but also, you cowards. Um. That's hilarious. Coming back to what we said a few episodes ago when we talked about updates and things like that, the GPDA is how the drivers communicate their intent and their issues with rules, with track changes, all of those kind of things. That is one of the few opportunities that they have to talk to the FIA and, and mention these things. And so you're absolutely right for that to have been cancelled in the midst of all of this it's it's not telling but it's it's curious i guess and it automatically removes an opportunity for them to discuss things like this and other safety changes all of those kind of things that they might need to discuss so as i said earlier there were certain drivers who clearly did manage to adhere to the rules now they didn't finish higher than seven 
in that George Russell and Joe Guanyu, who finished a little bit further down. But then you've obviously got your Alonso's, Lando, and obviously the top three, who none of whom got penalties that affected their results. They all did have warnings at various points, but none of them got beyond a black and white flag to the point of a penalty, I don't think. So it is possible, but I think one of the biggest issues was how overwhelmed the FIA was in terms of keeping on track of those penalties this weekend. Are there other tracks that have this issue? Or like anything close to track limits being a big factor like this one? Or is it just Red Bull Ring? Red Bull Ring is the biggest problem child as we should say coda might be a close second just because the big red exists and the last turn exists and they are both very sharp but i don't think it's anywhere near as bad it's also a lot longer of a circuit so the the stores have more time Mm -hmm. that's the biggest issue it's one of the challenges with this circuit it's like just over a minute i think the race pace laps were like 107 um, right which just is not that long particularly for dealing with that volume of them. While Monaco is the shortest circuit, it is a low-speed circuit. It is a downforce yeah. circuit. This is a power circuit. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So a power circuit's like speed? Yeah, it feels shorter, okay. but it's not. Yeah, it does feel shorter, doesn't it? You're so right. I do love Austria. It's one of my favorites, but it's it's definitely... Yeah, you can't go around a hairpin at speed. You can't. The other thing that's come up quite a lot recently, it definitely came up this weekend, it's come up a lot in sort of the previous three or four races is penalties for impeding yeah now give me give me sort of the impeding 101 what do we mean when they talk about impeding what's the offense and the thing i'm really curious to talk about is whose responsibility is it okay so you want me to take this one on yes because all i know is that from my very basic understanding is that you are basically getting in the way of someone's hot lap or just in, get in the way of them and somehow that impacts like they're qualifying or something. That's it. That's pretty much it. And it can happen in practice and it can happen in qualifying is where it becomes important. But basically, impeding is when car A is on a cool down or out lap. Car B is on a hot lap approaching car A. And car A does not move off the racing line or all the way off the racing line. Therefore, the racing line being the, f- being the optimal line of drive. Yeah. They don't move fully off the racing line. They don't move off the racing line at all. Therefore, killing the hot lap and the time, forcing the driver to either abandon the hot lap or go off, which would make them abandon the hot lap. Yes, Ellie. Can you impede in the race? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like that's defense. Well, yes, but you know how there's that whole thing where if they're on a straight, they stick to a line and they're not allowed to like move about too much. That feels like potential impeding. No, what that is, is unnecessary. It, well, it's what, so there is it's a, called something there is different, a word isn't for it. it. It's yeah. called something different. What it is, is unallowed moves, I think, something like that. It's yeah. something really dumb and like super simple to explain it, which does kind of explain it. What it is is that in the rule book you're allowed one move off the racing line to defend your position. If you make two, it's now called weaving. That's what it is. It's called weaving. Yeah, weaving on a straight or whatever it is. Okay, so you can't be just going like. You get one defensive move, and that is it. But that's probably the closest we get to impeding in a race situation. How? Well, no, it's not. If a dry, if a backmarker is shown a blue flag, and they do not yes. move off the racing line, that is impeding. However. Most of the time, they don't really 
get to the penalty point? If they're on a blue, if they're getting a blue flag, they're already at the back. Don't kick them anymore. Literally. Like, I mean, the interesting thing is, it's like, as a total side note, in IndyCar, there is no blue flag unless they're more than two laps down. Like, they, they those people, if they're one lap down, which is typically most of what you'd see in F1, they like they wouldn't have to move in IndyCar. They can still fight for the space, which I just think is so interesting. You, you saw it a lot. I don't know if you watched Middle Ohio at the weekend. There was one particular driver who really held up a few people. Yeah, I heard about that. By being Peterson. one of the back markers a lap down, and it was it's so interesting to see that play out in Indy, where, like you say, in F1 you would be penalized for impeding. And Peter sure was Peterson because he was in between, yeah, like in front of like. The McLaren that was a lap down with him, and then I think Rossi was trying yeah. to get past him, and he and he'll hold him. He held him up for a good bit. He held up for Pelot for so long, like he held him up for like a while, and you know didn't make a difference at the end. But he lost like a good three four seconds from being behind him because the guy just would not move, and I respect it. But okay, back to impeding in F one. Impeding makes mo- most difference really in qualifying. It does, and we had a we've had a couple cases of impeding for the last three, four races. Start definitely starting oh, wow. in Monaco, I think. Always, but the latest one, the latest one was Oscar and Charles. And in my dip, humble and observant opinion, I don't know if Charles should have gotten it. And the reason I say this is because it was up to track design. Yeah, he was literally in the pit entry when Oscar got impeded. There was no possible way, unless he wanted to pay a fine for speeding in the pit lane, for him to get out of the way. Yeah, and I think that's what's curious. That is track design. That is not driver error. Exactly, and I think there was a lot of talk of Max should have been getting a penalty for impeding Kevin Magnussen, but then when they looked back at the footage, no, K went over a curb. No, no, no. This is a different. This is in qualifying. Oh, really? Yeah, he, so so Max got in Kevin's way, but when they looked back at the footage and even the Haas team admitted it, like Kevin had gone over a curb, and so he wasn't he'd already compromised his racing line, and so there there wasn't so much of an issue. We saw, I mean, the, the interesting one for me is I want to say Canada, but it might not have been Canada. Pierre Gasly got two because on two separate occasions he impeded, mm-hmm. so he got a sixth place. Mm-hmm grid penalty yeah, drop and so that's that's usually what they do is it's a three-place grid penalty drop for impeding but the curious thing for me the thing i wanted to get you guys opinion on is it driver error or is it race engineer fault slash team fault because the reality is these drivers can see what is in front of them and until they go around a corner i don't think they've got a jolly old clue who's in front of them and therefore they, they rely on their team to see where on the track everybody else is positioned they're their spotters basically who are instructed i guess to tell them who is where and so i'm probably you know giving away what my leaning is on this opinion but i'm curious what you guys think where does the responsibility lie to not impede so this one i've actually thought a lot about because again i kind of agree with you however i don't think it has to do with the who's in front of them it has to do with the who's behind them who's coming on a hot lap behind them yes that's true and if you listen if you if you have f1 tv or if you have sky this year and you go into the the driver channels you can hear their radios and then you can hear for example carlos in three two one 
that driver pulls to the side, car, you're going to see Carlos's car come out from the camera. And then they move back to the racing line. Right. Okay. That is how they're supposed to be able to tell. If they're not getting that, that's not their fault. However, they do have mirrors. They can see it, but they can't. There's so much going on that that is a safety net. So it really depends on how fast they react to the information, how fast the information is being given to them. The problem is, is that with certain instances, either the driver is not receiving any information whatsoever, mm-hmm. or they are receiving it way too late. Yeah. And I don't know if that, especially in Monaco, when Charles got mm-hmm. that one in the got that one in the tunnel, yeah, that was given to him four seconds too late at least. And so for that reason alone, it's either the team's responsibility or it was a technology error because there is no way that that information either got lost or was not relayed without an issue somewhere. It's right in front of their faces. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really valid. I, I do. I, I, I totally see what you mean. It's not the driver behind who needs to know. It's the driver in front with someone coming from behind on the fast lap because that would be how they'd come into yeah. the do you have any idea how fast they go on a slow lap? Because I think that might shock me. I don't have a number. Why do you? No. But I would imagine that slow lap isn't a slow lap, you know? I think that's probably what I'm getting at. It's... Oh, no. It's not. Yeah. Okay, so it's... There's a certain speed they have to be at, obviously, for safety reasons. But it's not going to be like you and you or I driving on the highway. I, that's the it's thing. Not. That's what I'm saying. Even my fastest, the fastest speed I go in my Skoda is probably still half as slow as they are going on a slow lap. That's what's mad to me. It's like my speed, my high speed is them on a safety car, probably. Right. And I think it's just important to remember that, that when we talk about slow laps and out laps versus flying laps, yes, okay, the flying laps are significantly faster, but that's because they're going stupidly fast. And actually, particularly if you look at somewhere like Monza, their speeds are ridiculous. And so actually, them moving out the way is still done at speed. And these people are coming so fast and it doesn't negate any of the points that you've made. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the timely relaying of information being hugely critical. But I think it's just amusing to me that this slow lap, not very slow. Now, here's the interesting one. If you look at tracks like Miami, which I got to experience firsthand, I was on the straight that's between two and three, Mm -hmm. the podium straight. Mm -hmm. When they are on a slow lap, they are not going faster than 50. Really? Really. They are going super slow, because, especially in that area, because it is such a thin track. They pull over, and they're almost at a stop. Mm. Being me, I went down mm. on practice one day um, from my station because I got a okay from my boss. And I went down, and I videoed, like, every car that I possibly could. And while we were – while I was down there, Logan had to pull over, and he ba- – he stopped so slow. He he pulled so slow in front of me that I literally caught like it looks like a 4K video. And that's how Hannah passed. It's re- he he was going real slow. Yeah. I did not pass away. I am still here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but he was going real slow and then you had Carlos who was going maybe maybe 100. I don't know. It wasn't like that's a really strange example. Yeah. But there are cases where the slow lap is actually slow. Yeah, fair enough. One rogue thing I'm going to throw out your way about uh, impeding, and then we can talk about 2024 calendar, is a suggestion that came from my lovely dear friend Lauren, whose theory was 
if a driver impedes another, and particularly in qualifying where it can mean the difference between getting out of Q1, Q2, the drivers, instead of the driver at fault getting a three-place penalty, they have to swap places with the driver they impeded. When was this? Where was I? One of our unhinged conversations at one point, it was when Kevin Magnussen had theoretically been impeded by Max Verstappen. Oh yeah, it was the... Yeah, it was the K. It was the K Mag one. It was a K Mag, which turned out to not have been the case, as I mentioned earlier. But I just thought it was a hilariously rogue suggestion, and I wanted to give it airtime because it's fantastic. That is a good suggestion. I like Look, it. Look, what I'm learning is that our group, our group chat, is out here trying to make F1 spicy and fun. Give us drugs. I mean, last week we reinvented <laughs> the sprint with reserve drivers and uh, F2 drivers. Hat pulling. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and this week we've got, and this week we are reinventing I- impeding penalties. You're welcome. I really do want to see. I don't know why, but something in me, maybe it's the chaos demon, mm-hmm. and really needs Max to just have all twenty cars in a hat, and he gets to pick one out of the hat, and that's the car he drives for the weekend. That's the driver he swaps with. Because I just, I need it to be fun. <laughs> Uh, was it Blair that said that once Max like locks up the World Championship, switch yes. him and Yuki yep. for the rest mm-hmm. of the season, and yep. just you just have Max driving the Alpha Tower while Yuki's in the rocket? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it would be so interesting, wouldn't it? And I know it's it. never going to happen because it's not serious enough. F one is very serious sport, but. Oh, really? it would be so good. <laughs> so good. Look, Ugh. we're trying to make it fun for us to watch. And let's be real, Max can probably still go from like P20 in the Afatari and take it to like P2. So mm-hmm. why are we kidding ourselves? Oh, 100%. Um, and he is so good. And as we said earlier, he deserves it. He is absolutely nailing it. Yes, the car's incredible, but so is he. Credit where credit's due. But I think just to see him in the Alpha Tauri, oh man, I want it. I just need a different car. I mean, if anything, the past couple races where Chucko's been not hitting the mark and Max is being Max shows that, yes, the car's a rocket, but it also comes down to driver at the same time. Absolutely. Funny story, actually. On Sunday morning, when I was getting ready to start uh, watching the race, my dad turns around and he goes, why are you going to watch it? You, you already know who's going to win. I said, it's not about Max finishing first. It's about how they finish behind him. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, you know, we are a Williams fan podcast. And so let's just celebrate a P11 and a P13 for the boys. Good. Literally. Good, race. Uh, Good result. We'll I was it. so excited. I was like, so close to double points for the boys. So close. Oh, my God. The way I was distracted at work when I found out that they both got penalties. I remember exactly where I was when all of them came out. Yeah. And the dance I did in the back room when I found out they were equal and they didn't move. I swear <laughs> to God, my one of my coworkers turned to me and she goes, are you good, bro? And I went, I'm better now. <laughs> yeah. I have an interesting question, which maybe isn't for today. Maybe we can revisit it later. There has been talk in the, probably the Twitter sphere, realistically, although not now, but there's been talk of them increasing the points to go down to P15. Really? Very loose, like potentially fan conversation rather than official conversation. But without going into it in too much detail, what do you think? Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Because as Alex Albon said about the sprint race when it was over in Baku, P1 to 8 kind of feels locked out a lot of the time. And Okay, sure, you get maybe a Lando Norris, you maybe get an Alpine 
that that manages to get up there and hulk in qualifying but not actually on Sunday. For me, it would make the rest of the constructors championship so interesting because at the moment you've got like Alpha Tauri with like what two points? Yet whereas mm-hmm. actually Yuki consistently has been actually quite great, particularly in that terrible, terrible car. And so to get rewarded for like year 11 to 14, because otherwise it's like, why fight for P14? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't get you anything. But for the points to go down to 15, obviously there'd need to be adjustment because you go 25, 18, 15, 12, 10, and then down one at a time. So it would mean the, the bigger ones adjusting as well. But I don't know. I'd almost be happy to see like literally like 15 down to one. No, yeah. I feel like it would make things more competitive. So when you say that it doesn't matter, that's not necessarily true. And I want to keep this concise. We do want to move on to the 2024 calendar. But you saw this with teams that didn't have points until recently or drivers Mm -hmm. that didn't have points until recently. Their average finishing position determines where they are in the championship if they don't have points. So Logan being P12 in Bahrain and P13 in Austria, where he had lower finishes, he's still higher than Nick because Nick hasn't finished higher than him. Consistently enough. And that's valid. That makes sense. I think I just feel like it would give them more credit for what they're doing because actually, like I said, we'll use Williams as all our examples. Williams consistently have been in the top three quarters. Yes, okay, there's been quite Mm -hmm. a few occasions where they have, where one of them has been down 16 to 20. Actually, there's been other times where 15, 14, 13, 12, they're, you know, doing well. And I would love to see that reflected better. And I think it would prove the competitiveness of those cars particularly more than potentially just having points for 1 to 10. And 25 points gives such a huge margin. Yeah. If you would displace, like, space it out a bit, it would make it closer. Well, half points yeah. for fourth, less than half points for fourth. So fourth is 12 points. First is 25. I get that we're right. rewarding podiums, but they got medals. They got trophies. They don't need points. <laughs> they get they get the little medals now, okay? Yeah. So I don't know. It was just an interesting thought. No, I think it'll just make it... Oh, oh at, like, at least in our group chat, we said, like, because it's Max and then everyone else, it makes midfield battles more interesting. Just to see, like, we're finishing. Yeah. I don't think we'll just add to... Yeah. The spice of that. I mean, obviously, it couldn't change yeah, the obviously year. Not this year, but it would just add more to like watching the midfield of being like, all right, or is everyone going to finish second's points? That's going to impact it. Like, if Yuki had got points for his P11s, mm-hmm. where were he, like, where would he be? Or, or like the constructors, where would Offer Tower be with that? Yeah. It's just something else to add to it. Yeah. I just thought I'd mention it whilst it was on my mind to talk about it with you guys. But yes, we did want to talk about the 2024 calendar which has been provisionally released obviously these dates aren't set in stone you can now buy tickets for some of them you can get to put deposits down for others of them and there are quite a few interesting changes so one of the things that historically f1 has been criticized for in the calendar is the lack of regionalization and this whole like we talked about last week desire to go carbon neutral by 2020 2030 sorry and then everybody flying all around the world at multiple times in very random orders that still does happen in this calendar but not as much yes it does there's definitely more regionalization so there's we're not going to go through the calendar in detail if you want it it's on the f1 website social all of that kind of stuff but there are a few more notable changes which we're just going to briefly talk through so yeah Han, do you want to start us off more or less it goes east to west which is really nice your biggest changes are japan 
Belgium, Azerbaijan, and I think that's the major ones. Am I missing Belgium one? Change, Belgium, Belgium changed this year, so I would call that a this year change. Yeah, that's not a major change. You're right. Uh, the Qatar move? Question mark. Qatar was not on the calendar last year. Qatar is not has not mm. moved and will not be. That's that's the correct. Qatar, I believe Qatar flipped with Vegas this year. Yeah, because Vegas is second to last this year. You've got Japan who moves to April. You've got Azerbaijan that moves to September. We've got a, like a month gap or like a full week gap September to October. So we kind of have a second summer break, right. but kind of like an autumn break. So we have like four races back and then another break from August to September. Or, well, the races are in August to September and then there's a four week break from mid-September to October. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh, I noticed Well, yeah, I didn't after Singapore. That. Yeah, after Singapore. After and Singapore before Kodo. So the biggest change, I guess, is that at the start of the of the year, um, the first two races are going to be on Saturdays. Now, that is due to Ramadan. And weekends in these countries, from what I've been told, have never been the same as the rest of the world. I didn't realise this until chatting to some people about it today. Their weekend is Friday, Saturday. So actually, for them, no. doing the races on a Saturday makes more sense, actually. So... What that means is it means everything's going to shift forward a day for these first two events. So you'll have media day on the Wednesday, free practice sessions one and two on the Thursday, FP3 and qualifying on the Friday, and then the main event on the Saturday itself. Now, we're going to see that this year for Vegas uh, because Vegas is going to be a kind night of. race. Yeah, it timing-wise, it doesn't quite make as much sense, but theoretically in terms of the technical days – it is yeah. a very similar layout and Vegas will be the third Saturday race in 2024 as well. So I actually got a look, an ex- exclusive look, if you will, at what Vegas's timing sheets are at this point in time. It's Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, and then Sunday morning. It's not, it's not technically Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you have like practice ones at like 10 o'clock and then practice two is at like 1 a.m. Love them. If I remember correctly, I only had the email for like a day and a half before I lost it. Um, Lovely. Can't wait to pull all nighters because I might be in the same time zone, but I'm going to have to be up late anyways. Well, we'll see. Whereas for me, it just means early morning. You know what? It's fine. The, the, The reality is, any kind of scheduling for any kind of event is a logistical nightmare. Never mind coordinating a calendar for a series as big as Formula One. Now, this is going to be the longest season they've ever had. Technically, it spans across just, but technically it spans across 11 months because free practice one starts on Wednesday, the 28th of February, or 29th, sorry, because it's a big mm-hmm. year. And so technically it starts very end of February. And then there are two races in December. The Qatar one, the Sunday is, a, is December the 1st. And then Abu Dhabi is December the 8th. So it's a long year. Assuming there's no cancellations, it is the longest one ever in, in Formula One history. But what you've got that we wanted to kind of briefly touch on is that actually some of the logistics come down to climate. They come down to what the tracks are like at certain times. Sometimes it was too hot to go somewhere, too cold to go other way, other places. So Montreal, if it was any earlier, it could be snow. So in May, they have snow in Canada sometimes. They they have it in Montreal. So it, they can't move that because it's too cold. Whereas Miami, they can't move any later because it's too hot. It was probably too hot, Hannah, for you this year. But people talk about how particularly those two, yes. people talk about how particularly Miami and uh, Montreal, could be squeezed together to kind of what's the word 
logistically put them in the similar time zone but that's the reason why canada can't go earlier my army can't go later so they are four weeks apart five weeks apart for that reason so it makes slotting the races into the calendar quite a quite a challenge and so they have done better this year in terms of the regionalization three races of new position like we said so japan means that the freight can go australia to japan and on to china which makes a little bit of sense baku goes from back you go from baku to singapore and then in theory you would go from singapore to the usa for kota but obviously it's a four-week gap so everyone's going to go home but in theory you're traveling eastwards that way qatar shifted from october to sort of the first weekend of december to be a stop off from like las vegas to qatar to abu dhabi so they have clearly tried this year we've obviously seen spa move forward but some of that is more about spa being super wet all the time that they tried to bring it forward but spas work all the time unfortunately so the big thing before people start going well why not move Miami forward so it's not as hot newsflash it's always hot in Miami it's a tropical climate and also you have this is a multi-purpose venue yeah you have the dolphins season that ends in February if they make it to the Super Bowl, which has Big not it. happened in a bit. Um, so January, it ends Big in it. January. And then you have the Miami Open. Mm-hmm. And then you have a ton of other stuff. Remember, it's Hard Rock. It is not just a Dolphins football stadium. Hard Rock is an international company. Yeah. They do concerts year-round. It is not – it's something that – F1 is lucky they got a spot. Let's put it this way. (laughs) But equally, people are complaining that Miami and Canada aren't synced up. You wouldn't be able to, even if you pulled Miami earlier, it would still be too cold in Montreal to sync the two of them up. Like if we're talking about like how we group places, you either have to do your three USA races all at the same time, which no one's going to go to if they're three back-to-back weekends for like US races. Like it wouldn't make marketing sense. No. But. You've got to get it in there somewhere. So, you know, I'm impressed that they seem to have done better, but we'll see how it actually pans out, I guess. And I guess we'll see how Spa does this year. I'm very interested to see how the change affects it because we are we are just in July and we already had a weekend with unfortunate tragedy mm-hmm. um, due to weather. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, and I highly doubt that there's somebody who doesn't know um, we unfortunately lost Freca driver Delano Ventoft to the spa circuit this past Saturday during race two for his series. He was 18 years old. Um, it was a very eerily similar crash to Antoine Hubert and JMC's crash, which is really, I don't know if disappointing is the right word. But there's no other word that I can think of to describe how I feel about the situation mm. from a perspective of how it was handled, how the conditions were handled. Yeah. Not to bring down the mood of the podcast, but this is really important to us as a team and as a brand that we bring this up and that we ask if anybody is listening who, you know, has power within the FIA or has or knows somebody please change something because once is an accident and a horrible tragedy twice is a pattern and it needs to be changed Mm -hmm. and if this was a freak accident it might be different unfortunately it is not 
there have been similar crashes where we had drivers walk away. Yeah. Thankfully. But Delano was not that lucky. The family has, and MP Motorsport, have posted a QR code. They have set up a foundation in Delano's honor to assist drivers and racers in crash rehabilitation and injury rehabilitation. If you want to pay respect to Delano, please do donate. And yeah, I I don't know how else to end that other than it's really hard for me to talk about because I know people who knew him and... The people, you never realize how small the motorsports community is until something like this happens. Mm. It's, you know, the first thing that you you ask yourself is, what if it was this person yeah. or this person or, you know, this person? And I was talking to somebody who is very close to some record drivers and I'm not going to name them because for their own privacy reasons, but I just, I was at a last for words and she was my first person that I thought about and I I contacted her and I basically sat with her over text and I just let her talk it out because there's no other thing that you can do at that point when you're oceans away and that's it is all of these people are that person to someone like you talk about the drivers where for you you would maybe know them more personally but that that was Delano to some people and yeah we didn't want to allow the moment to go past without at least acknowledging it and you know for all we talk about the FIA needing to look at things like track limits in the racing sense from this weekend I think there is a bigger conversation that needs to be had and hopefully will be had ahead of I mean Spa's what three weeks away to be had uh, around Spa and around track changes actually of things that that actually need to be changed around about that track to make it safer so for F1 this year it is a sprint weekend as well um, in Spa, so you know, there's there's twice the competition, um, there's twice the qualifying, and I think everybody watching wants to see everybody come out of that safe. Um, everybody come out of it. I mean, it's, it's Silverstone this weekend, and we saw what could have been like a really horrible crash for for Joe last year, and thankfully was not. But this is a serious sport. This is a dangerous sport, and unfortunately, sometimes the worst things happen, and we want to make sure that that's avoided so echo everything hannah said which she has said so wonderfully and so well and yeah it's obviously something nobody wants to have to talk about because it's devastating it really really is but yeah and kind of in that same vein silverstone is known for their sausage curbs Mm -hmm. which track limits we kind of talked about it earlier they're you know they're the they're the option i guess but they're a very interestingly controversial option. We saw it last year when Dennis Hauger almost got crushed by Roy Nassani's car because he flew over a sausage curb in Silverstone. Was Max and Lewis the year before a sausage curb as well? 2021? No, it was not a sausage curb. It was not a sausage curb. That was Monza. Um, Monza is when they ended up. Oh, yes, sorry. Um, I'm confused. Yeah, Monza is the sausage curb incident between the two of them. But yes, sausage curbs are controversial. I believe it was... Abby Eaton broke her back on a sausage curb in Kota. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whilst they seem like the logical thing for track limits, for track safety, they aren't always actually the, the safest option. So we, we intend in the future to maybe do an episode on track changes, how you go about making changes. We saw changes in, in Spain this year, like that chicane at the end got, got removed. So, you know, clearly these things can change. And we've talked again about the driver's briefings and those opportunities for the drivers to talk about changes, all of those kind of things. We, we're going to sort of do something on um, 
how tracks change, who decides that, and, and all of that good stuff at some point in the future. That's probably most of what we've got time for today. I'm going to end by going and kind of picking you guys' brain a little bit. So in Austria, there's track limits. It's an issue. It's been an issue in the past. Unless something changes, it will probably continue to be an issue in the future. If you were the FIA or the people, the track designers, the people making decisions, what would you do in that turn 9, 10 area? In, if you were sort of making the change, designing, appreciate it's not as simple as just going, I do this. What do you reckon after a bit of our chat today? What do you think the best way to solve the track limits problem would be? Is it either scrapping the rule altogether? which has been suggested because it or, or it being like a past 10 centimeters over the line or something like that because the reality is if they go too far wide they do compromise their rates how would you deal with the issue so that we don't get 47 laps deleted in qualifying and 1200 incidents across the weekend well for starters update your system so you're not 12 laps down when it's overloaded that's i mean employ some new people that's one personally well, they have like 20 um, people and they take a car each. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, so they used to, I don't know what happened to this rule. And I think it had to do with being criticized for consistency um, a while back. Mm-hmm. They used to announce the certain tracks track limits before the weekend. So certain tracks, it was the white line. Certain tracks, it was the striped curb. Okay. And I really think that for this one in particular... Bringing that back is a really smart decision because if it's still, if it's the white, if it's the red and white curb, it's a striped curb, you still have a defined mm-hmm. barrier of where mm-hmm. it ends. Mm-hmm. If you say, and they used to release, hey, we're watching X, yeah. X corner. This is the corner. Mm-hmm. This is the corner where you need to stay inside the lines. Everything else, you can maybe get away with it, but this is the corner you need to stay inside the lines. Sure. That giving the drivers something. Yeah, because if you don't give, because there's only so much, the inertia behind the car is only you. You can only control it so much. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember we talked about it during the Monaco episode where we talked about the force that brings the back of the car around on a downforce circuit, mm-hmm. right? So the inertia that's flowing through the car can only be controlled so much before it gets to a stopping point. Sure. A stopping point is probably going to be past the curb if they're going as fast as they are around the Red Bull ring. Well, Lewis was having huge issues with it, wasn't he? He couldn't turn the car, apparently. Right. My question was also going to be, do you think there's more onus on the teams to take better responsibility for it? So in the same way that they've got multiple strategists, multiple people back at the factories doing X, Y, and Z, do you think there's a responsibility on the teams to basically allocate a person per driver which means two more people in the team as opposed to 20 different stewards to look at one person to be like i am taking responsibility for track limits for this driver and i'm going to call it earlier than the stewards do and potentially going to be safe but i'd rather be safe than sorry because there's been such a delay do you think that plays a part i don't think so yeah. because remember you're dealing so i ex- think i've described it before like this on here maybe i haven't these cars are gorgeous rocket ships that drive like sports cars with the steering radius of a pickup truck. <laughs> okay? okay? There is literally, literally no steering radius, no turning radius on this thing. Mm-hmm. Literally none. So there's only so much they can do as a team, right? Mm-hmm. Before they sacrifice aerodynamics. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah. I just thought I'd ask. Would you make any design changes to the track, in your opinion? 
or is do there need to be changes to the rules? Are you asking me or are you asking Mon? Both of you. <laughs> okay. I would say, okay, I, I don't know how, I guess, sound my thoughts on this are just because one, I know very minimal about the sport and like, I ever feel like every episode we do, I learn something, which is, I guess, good because that's the whole point of this. <laughs> but I would say it's probably 50-50 in terms of like being on changing ice for a Red Bull ring. Like if it's something that's always consistent with it, like mm. and I know there's other series you have to take into account, like find something that either like Hannah says, like it's this specific marker versus just the white line right. or like something that you can come up with on top of like it being a rule change where it's like. Mm-hmm. for this specific race or something like or something like that where it's you find a middle ground that doesn't yeah. totally negate the rule but doesn't let it be what it was this past weekend either no. hang on i just lost my train of thought well lovely um back train. <laughs> maybe if you repeat your question it'll come back to me would you make any design changes or do you think the responsibility is with the rules to change okay yes okay train is back Woo-hoo. Um, like I stated earlier, the track has already changed so much Mm -hmm. for safety reasons. It needs to be a rule change. Cool. There's only so much you can do this track. Yes, it's very fast, but if you take that away, then it's just a, it's, it's a ring Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's a short ring. There's only so, there's so much you can sacrifice before it becomes irrelevant to race there. Fair enough. Entertainment perspective. So yes, but um, that's that's all my thoughts on it. And before I know we're wrapping up, but before we wrap up, I want to celebrate one my one little milestone anniversary, an anniversary, if you will. It's Monty's one year of watching Formula One. Um, this past weekend marked that one year because last year Silverstone and Austria were flipped. Flipsies! So happy one year anniversary, Mon! Oh yay! You know, been ride. <laughs> We're glad you're here. We're glad you turned on Silverstone 2022. It's been a ride. What a race to start with. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what a race to start What a race. Well, yes. Well, happy anniversary to morning. We are going to wrap it up right there. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on the calendar, please do let us know. What are you excited to see? Um, I should say we are all really excited to see China back on the calendar. Obviously, it's supposed to be this year, but should I get us a home race? Yay! Uh, so yeah but otherwise that's all we've got time for so thank you so much and have a great weekend Bye. bye thank you so much for listening if you've got any questions on anything we discussed today or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future then we would love to hear from you you can get in touch on instagram at prettygirlf1 club and on twitter at pgf1c or follow us on tiktok at pgf1c see you soon